and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Remnant Call. This is your host, Brother Frank. Glad to be here with you. Just want to say thanks for everybody praying for uh, last weekend um, up there at the youth conference, uh, speaking to the youth. And uh, I just want to say praise the Lord. Thank you, God. You are awesome. Uh, You're amazing. And it's so easy uh, this day and hour to give up on the youth. Um, But then when you see God touch them and you see him move and you see honest, real conviction, and, and you know that you're not qualified. It's got to be the Lord. And and it reminds me that there's nobody God cannot reach. And I think we give up so easy on people, and, and God has so much power and so much strength. And, yeah, there's a lot of youth that don't care, just like most of us didn't care when we were young, but there are those who want to know. And I remember this one person, just she, she said, I just want to be forgiven. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. Well, God is in the business of forgiveness and restoration and rebuilding and and just taking the old garbage and and just getting rid of it and starting you out, wiping that slate clean and saying, you know what? Tomorrow is going to be a better day. There is hope. And and a lot of people feel so trapped, like maybe they've sinned too much. Well, you know what? God has more grace and forgiveness than you have sinned. And, 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 and things you've done wrong in your life. So trust in God. He needs us to work. This is the hour. And Brother Benjamin going to come on tonight here in just a few minutes and share with us about Zechariah Part 4, the culmination. We're going to attempt, with no guarantee, um, to wrap up the book of Zechariah. I mean, this is going to be a lot. But Brother Benjamin's going to bring it forth. And just one last note, if you didn't hear last week's program on AI versus SI, artificial intelligence versus spiritual intelligence, or AI, the battle for the mind, uh, it is on there. You need to check this out because, folks, it, there is so much in this artificial intelligence world, and, and honestly, you might think that you're not a part of it, but every time you lift up your smartphone to your face, you're being you're being groomed you're being uh, uh prospected you're you're being uh, uh your minds are being manipulated now the lord obviously can protect and not everything's wrong but you're being they're trying to conform you into the system of what they want you to believe and it's very important to be aware of this because we need to be on god's intelligence uh which is greater than any artificial well i'm not going to keep blabbering on any longer i'm going to bring on uh our favorite guest here tonight brother benjamin baruch uh, to share with us a word from the Lord out of the book of Zach. And so, Brother Benjamin, are you here tonight with us? Well, hey, Frank. Brother, I am so thankful that you're here. I I'm just feel good right now, knowing that you're on the show, knowing that we're back in the book of Zechariah. Brother, I am excited. Well, hallelujah. You know, the Lord's good, and 
and what a blessing to be the people who have received the word of the Lord. You know, not everybody has received the word. And, you know, in some lives, Frank, you know, the word was was cast forth as seed, but the birds came and they ate it up. You know, tonight, you know, the the audience, the little audience that's gathered, uh, we're the people whose hearts are represented as the good ground. And so I would pray that tonight this word of truth would be watered and would grow up unto all righteousness in our lives. But, yeah, we're going to try to finish Zechariah, the second half of Zechariah in, in one program. Um, you know, mercy me, Lord be with us. And, uh, you know, on that note, let's just consecrate, let's pray and consecrate this time. Amen. Pray, please. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have chosen us. I thank you that Jesus is our Lord and he is our Savior, and that in him we have received every good thing. And, Father, I thank you that you watch over your word to perform it, to perfect it, to bring it to pass, and and Lord, I pray that you would watch over each of us, and Lord, that you would be with us in this program, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, your word of truth will come forth, and Lord, by your power, the hearts, not just the minds, but the hearts of God's people would be touched, consecrate this time, we dedicate it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, Benjamin, get us kicked off here in the book of Zechariah. I mean, uh, yeah, I here we are, part four. <laughs> Amazing, you know. And I'm so excited to be finishing Zechariah because uh, I want to move on to the book of Amos. And you know, it's like the Lord's been downloading into me, uh, and literally, you know, the Lord has me in another part of the scriptures from what we're trying to share on these programs and so i'm really looking forward to what's coming next but you know praise god the second half of zechariah is is truly the the culmination not only of the book but of all things as we will see tonight but you know we left off zechariah part three with the the prophecy at the end of chapter six dealing with the where the spirit of the lord spoke and said behold the man whose name is the branch and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And this is this is not the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, you know, this is a servant of the Lord, chosen in the end times. You know, Zechariah three verse eight. We dealt with this in a prior version, where we were told Joshua the high priest is is and the ones chosen with him are men of wonder. They're men of miracles to be wondered at in the land of Israel. For the Lord promised to bring forth his servant, the branch. And, and uh, you know, this reference to the, the one who comes forth out of the root of Jesse, not the stem, that was the life, that was the man, Jesus Christ, who was born a son of David out of the lineage of Jesse, but, but this birth comes forth literally out of the root of the tree, as we read in Isaiah 11. And in Isaiah 4, in that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful, Isaiah 4, verse 2, and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be excellent. You know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the, in the ministry that is coming is going to be excellent and beautiful for those that are escaped of Israel, for the remnant 
a time of fruitfulness is coming, a time of beauty is coming. I mean, this is going to be like a tale of two destinies. It is going to be the worst of time for the wicked, and it's going to be a very hard time for the apostate, and it is going to be the best of times for the righteous and for the remnant. And it will come to pass that he that is left in Zion, I'm reading um, Isaiah 4, you know, dealing with the branch that will be revealed, you know, the beauty of the true ministry of Jesus in the lives of his anointed ones. That ministry will be beautiful, and the fruit will be excellent, and it will be given to those that are escaped of Israel, and it will come to pass that the ones that are left in Zion shall be called holy. Everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, purging the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. And so, praise God. Praise God. You know, you know who is the branch? For those who may wonder, you know, what is this reference to the, the branch? This is the one the Lord has called in this time. In Malachi chapter 3 we read, Behold, I send my messenger. This is the man who's, who, whose name is the branch. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, he will suddenly come into his temple. And now, what is he talking about? The scripture answers, even the messenger of the covenant. And behold, he shall come. Praise God. Zechariah, we're going on in chapter 5, but I just wanted to, to segue from where we ended in chapter, chapter 6. Uh, Zechariah chapter 7 is where we begin. And, you know, just to remind everyone, the name Zechariah, for those of you that perhaps didn't hear um, the prior messages, the name Zechariah in Hebrew means the Lord has remembered. You know, and truly that is the, the essence of the message of Zechariah. For, you know, in these writings, as we shall see, the Lord has chosen to remember his promises of old to his friend Abraham and his covenant that he made with his people Israel. And unto all of his remnant, even unto the end of the age, the Lord remembers his mercy and he remembers his faithfulness. And so Zechariah chapter 7 and you know, out of the desire to to be able to finish the teachings on Zechariah, we're only going to deal with some of the verses. Um, and I'm going to start in verse 5. Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priest, and to the pastors, and to the elders in the church, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month, even those 70 years in which Israel was in slavery, did you at all fast unto me, even to me, saith the Lord? You know, it's an astonishing question. And in verse 6, and when you did eat and when you drank, did you not eat for yourselves? Did you not drink for yourselves? Should you not hear the words which the Lord has cried out through the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity? And so here the Lord is literally rebuking the people, saying, you know, when you fasted, you weren't doing it for me. When you ate and drank, you weren't doing it for me. You weren't serving me. You were serving your flesh. You were serving your own religious identity. You're doing all these things unto yourself. And then, so the Lord is in this rebuke. Then the word of the Lord comes unto Zechariah in verse 8, and he speaks in verse 9, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Execute true judgment. 
not crooked judgment, false judgment, not dark counsel, not the, the religious idolatry of the Pharisees, but the truth, and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. You know, that word for compassion in Hebrew is racham, and it means the pity, the pity that you would show even a small child, the compassion that is shown a baby in the womb, a tender love. You know, God is literally saying, execute the truth, show mercy and tender love to everyone. You know, this is the light of the truth. The Lord has called us to be people of mercy. But we know in the time of the end, in the last days, the Lord Jesus himself warned us in the teachings of the New Testament. He said that many hearts would be hardened, and many would become offended, and begin to hate one another, and would betray one another, even unto death, and, you know, brother against brother, a man's enemies, his own household. And yet, the true judgment of God was to show mercy and compassion one to another. But at the time of the end, there would be not many hearts enlightened, not many hearts still holding on to the truth of the light of the true gospel, showing mercy and compassion to one another, but rather the hearts would be hardened at the end of the age. People quick to take offense, quick to move in judgment, quick to judge one another. But that's not the true judgment of the Lord. You know, the Lord told us, if you don't forgive one another from the bottom of your hearts, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. If there's one thing that we all need right now, and Frank, as you mentioned, the testimony of that sister at that Christian weekend. I just want to be forgiven. That's what we need. We need to be forgiven. And I'm not talking the legal standing of a Christian under the justification of our faith through Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the sanctification of our souls and the sanctification of our lives where we can walk in the innocence and the purity and in the holiness of the Lord. Everyone that is left in Zion, that is a part of the remnant, shall be holy. For the Lord will have already purged the blood of Jerusalem by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. You know, so much of the church is confused on this issue of sanctification, confusing it with justification. Our legal standing in Jesus Christ, before the Father is assured. If we are born again, we have right standing before the Father, legally throughout eternity. But that does not mean that we are yet sanctified in reality. And we can still have hearts that are hardened. We can still have roots of bitterness. We can still be walking around exercising false judgment and bringing condemnation and accusation hatred and anger, and I don't know about the experience that you guys have had, but in my experience in dealing with many, many people, people are very quick to turn the other cheek to hatred. They're very quick to forsake a friend, even families. 
Man's enemies have become those of his own household. But not so in the remnant. The remnant will continue to walk in the counsel of the Lord, showing mercy and compassion, every man to his brother. Praise God. Zechariah chapter 8. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returning to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. You know, this is the end of the age. You know, the Lord was angry with Israel in the year 30 A.D. when Jesus died and, and was rose, and he rose from the dead. And the religious leaders denied and lied about the resurrection. They lied to the people that the disciples had stolen the body of the Lord. And then they continued to resist the Holy Spirit for 40 years of testing. The Lord allowed the witness of the apostles, the witness of the true church, and the witness of the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem as a testimony against them. And when the 40 years were completed, the judgment began, and the Roman armies came to burn the city. They destroyed the temple. Not a stone was left unturned even as the Messiah had prophesied. And Israel was sent into captivity, and Israel was sent into what was known as the diaspora, the great, the great alienation, the disaster in the land, when Israel became um, wanderers among the nations. And for almost 2,000 years, the Israeli people had no country. But at the time of the end, the Lord would yet have a witness of his sovereignty before the nations. And so the Lord became jealous for Zion, which Zion is Jerusalem. It's another name for the holy city, for the holy mountains in, in, in Jerusalem and in Israel. With great jealousy, the Lord has turned his heart back to Zion. And he's going to dwell in Jerusalem again. And Jerusalem will be restored and redeemed and shall become the city of truth. You know, Babylon is the city of lies and the city of confusion. You know, one thing that you get when you deal with people that are prone to lying is you get a lot of confusion. Because nothing makes any sense. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't add up because it can't add up because it's falsehood. So, you know, in the world today, and in America, Babylon today, and unfortunately in the lives of many people who even claim to be Christian today, we have something other than the truth. And there's a lot of names for it. You know, and at one point I was talking to a friend, Christian ministry guy that I knew, and, and um, he had made a series of statements as part of, you know, speaking in public, and later someone came forward and challenged him, and and um, and a great ordeal ensued. And at one point, he turned to me for for my help, and I said, "Brother, you know, you can you can call this anything you want. You can use any word you want. You just can't say this was the truth." And unfortunately, in the lives of many many people who named the name of the Lord. There are things that you can call whatever you want to call it. You just can't call it the truth. 
and in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, you could look at what they were doing and what, you know, everyone following their own dark counsel, everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. You could call it whatever you wanted to call it. You just couldn't call Jerusalem a city of truth. But the Jerusalem that the Lord is going to restore through the spirit of burning and the spirit of judgment, you will call this city the city of truth. And the only people that will be allowed into the new Jerusalem will be the people who love the truth and who no longer make the lie. And uh, for those of you who've never read the book, The People of the Lie by Dr. Scott Peck, I would encourage you to get a copy of The People of the Lie, it's all about evil in humanity, and it's written by a Christian psychiatrist, and it's an analysis of evil. And the one thing about true evil is that it's always lying. It's never the truth. But, you know, the remnant shall be redeemed from the power of the lie, and they will come out from the deception of the father of lies, and they will learn to love the truth, and they shall return to the Lord and thus they will return to the truth. And Jerusalem then will become a holy mountain. Zechariah 8, uh, verses 6. Thus saith the Lord, If it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant in those days, should it be marvelous in my eyes, saith the Lord. And he, the Lord's talking about the second exodus and the great deliverance that awaits us. And it will be marvelous. It will be a thing of wonder. How did God do this? How did he save those people? It'll be incredible, but the Lord's saying, you know, should it be incredible to me? I think not. The Lord already knows how he's going to deliver every one of his remnant children. And he goes on and he says, Behold, I will save my people from the east and from the west, and I'll bring them. They shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. You know, and if there's one thing that, you know, the, the great falling away was a falling away from, we fell away from the truth. You know, the false prophets came in, and the, the doctrines of demons came in, the confusion of Babylon came in, the mixture and the compromise came in, and through all of it, the truth, the truth got trampled, the truth got lost, and you could call it whatever you wanted to call it. What's going on in all these churches for the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years? You can call whatever you want to call it. What's going on in the lives of all these people? You just can't call it the truth. Yet the remnant is going to return to the Lord in truth. And they're going to return in righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You that hear in these days... These words, in the days in which these prophecies will be fulfilled, when you hear these words written by the mouth of the prophets of God, who were there at the day when the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, let your hands be strong. That is a prophecy to us, brothers and sisters. You are hearing these prophetic words in the literal days in which they shall be fulfilled. And here the Lord is saying to you, if you're hearing these words at the time of the end, let your hand be strong. Don't be downcast. Don't be discouraged. Don't feel depressed. The Lord your God is coming, and he's coming to save you. The only thing you must do is learn to love the 
truth. Amen. And learn to make no lie. You know, and it's amazing. I, I really have recommended this book, The People of the Lie, so many times because it is such an eye-opener, you know, how insidious the lies become. And the first person that we lie to before we lie to anyone else is ourselves. You know, we put the spin on it. We just, we explain things a little differently. And we learn to add a shade of gray. Before you know it, everything has been darkened. You know, if if you have something less than the truth, what do you have? If you have something more than the truth, what do you have? You know, the number 22 represents truth. It's the number of all truth, and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And all truth can be defined and expressed through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But if you add anything to the truth, you get the number 23, and it's the number of death. 23,000 died in the wilderness in the judgment of God. 23 is the number of death. Because if you add anything to the truth, you've now destroyed the truth. And you've created death. You know, and if there's one thing America has today, this is the empire of lies. If you don't believe me, go read the book by Chris Hedges called The Empire of Lies. It's the most amazing indictment of modern American society. You know, one of the chapters is entitled Pornography, The Illusion of Love. Another is entitled Debt, Debt, The Illusion of Prosperity and and. He likens our political system to the World Wrestling Federation, which, of course, we all know was fake. And so much of what goes off for a political dialogue in this final hour of America Babylon is also fake, the empire of lies. And in an empire of lies, truth is treason. It's a treasonous thing to say the truth to people who live under the covering of lies. The very covenant of death in Isaiah 28. With death you are in agreement. And, you know, a a covenant with death will not cover you. You you make a deal with Satan. You make a deal with the devil's descendants. You've entered into a covenant of death. And though it might be written in lies, and though it might be covered in lies, it will never cover you in the storm that is coming. Only the truth can protect us now, brothers and sisters. Only the truth. And the, the truth is the Lord will save his people, but he's only saving the people who still have the love of the truth in their hearts. And you know what? It takes the courage. It takes faith and courage to speak the truth, to tell the truth, and to bear witness to the truth, and let the chips fall. You know, and it's so easy for us to, I can't really, you know, I can't say the whole truth I'll hurt their feelings. I can't say the whole truth. It'll, it'll hurt my feelings. I can't say the whole truth. I will have shame on me. That's what the devil's biggest, that's his biggest threat against a Christian. He, he comes to you and he says, you know, if you tell the truth, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll bear shame. There'll be shame on you. So you have to hide some of your sins. You need to hide them in the darkness. Never bring them out into the light. 
And in so doing, we give the enemy an advantage. In so doing, we literally leave ourselves in bondage. And the Lord says, when my people obey me, they will never be ashamed. Satan is such a liar. When we finally embrace the truth and have the courage to let the truth come out of us, it's the truth that will set us free. And so, at the time of the end, the spirit of burning and the spirit of judgment has done its work, and the people have come into the truth, and now they walk in righteousness. And so the Lord says, let your hands be strong in that time, you who love the truth. Zechariah 8, verse 11. But now I will not be unto this the residue or the remnant of these people, as in the former days, saith the Lord. In the former days, the Lord literally entered into judgment with Israel. He banished them from the land. Israel was destroyed as a nation. They rejected their king. They would have no kingdom. They rejected the Messiah. They would have no salvation. And so the the nation was given over to judgment. And what happened in Jerusalem was perhaps the most severe judgment of all time. But it will be eclipsed by what is about to take place in America. Zechariah 8, for the seed shall be prosperous, and the vine will give her fruit. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And it shall come to pass, as much as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall become a blessing. Fear not, let your hands be strong. And, you know, there is the Jewish people, the Israeli people, they were hated by the goyim, by the nations. And in many, many places, persecuted, uh, severely oppressed. Of course, the Holocaust being the culmination, but you know, great violence was done to the children of Israel throughout the millennium as they lived in the land of the Goy because they never fully adopted the culture of the Goyim. And as a result, they were always aliens in the midst of a foreign people. And so the world hated them, and Satan hated them, because even though they had been kicked out of their land, he knew that these were the descendants of Abraham. So the world hated them. But now, and, and as a result, that they were literally considered a curse. But now at the time of the end, the Lord is saying, you're going to become a blessing. And... In Zechariah 8, verse 16, these are the things that you should do. You know, people are always asking me, what should we do, Benjamin? I had, I get emails, people want me to tell them what to do. You know, when should they move? When should they, should they leave the country? You know, I can't tell you these things. You have to get these instructions from the Lord. But I can tell you this much. Here's what the scripture says. These are the things that you should do. You're wondering what you should do. You should start here. Speak Every man the truth to his neighbor. Number one on the list. Every one of you, speak the truth to your family. Speak the truth to your neighbors. Execute the judgment of truth. No judgment of lies. No judgment based on deception. Execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oaths. Don't take any false oaths. For these are the things that I hate, saith the Lord. Notice God is not telling the people to go and and worry about the interpretations of the rabbis and the 
keeping of the Torah. These are all relationship commandments. Speak every man the truth to the neighbor, to the people you're in relationship with, and execute judgment of truth in your gates, in your homes, in your lives. Don't let any of you imagine any evil in your heart against other people and take no false oath against a brother. These are the things that the Lord is furious about. And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the fast of the fourth month and of the fifth and the seventh and the tenth, they shall be to the house of Judah a time of joy and gladness and a cheerful feast. Therefore, love the truth and love peace. Now, I've heard of pastors who teach that this scripture says that the, these fasts, which were the fasting from food in the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th month, these were times that had been prescribed under the Old Covenant for all of the people of Israel to fast and seek the Lord. And it says that here at the time of the end, these days of fasting will be a time of joy and gladness and a cheerful feast. That word for feast actually is more demon. It means a time appointed. It'll be a, a time of joy that we've entered into the time of fasting. Now, some teach that that means we should be uh, partying during these days, that we shouldn't fast at all, that we should go eat the, the fatted lambs, and we should drink all of the fine wine, and we should fill our flesh to the uttermost in a time of revelry and rejoicing in the flesh. That is not what the Scripture is saying. The Scripture is saying that to those who love the truth, at the time of the end of the age, when they are told, when they become aware that a time of fasting and prayer has been appointed according to the commandment of the Lord, they would be rejoicing to fast and pray. Because they know this is how you seek the Lord. The outcome of turning off Babylon and turning your hearts to Zion, beginning to seek God in the appointed times through fasting and prayer, would be a joy and a gladness to the remnant, because they truly want to seek the Lord, and they want to find Him. And so, at the end of the age, it will be a time of rejoicing to do the appointed fast. Zechariah 8, verse 20, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It will come to pass that there shall come people and inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord. I will go also. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. And thus says the Lord, In those days it will come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all of the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of one that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. And here Zechariah is prophesying, In the time that is yet to come, as the great tribulation and the judgment of the entire earth begins to unfold, there are going to be many people who wake up, and they're going to say, Let us go speedily to pray to, before the Lord, and let us go and seek the Lord. And many people... Even nations are going to turn and seek the Lord, and they're going to look to Jerusalem. And then they're going to look, and they're going to see a Jew among them, and they're going to grab him, and they're going to say, we want to go with you, because we've heard your God is with you again, for the Lord has returned to Zion. 
the time of the Gentiles is about to be fulfilled. And God's heart, and, and if you will, the, the, the destiny of the nation, again, has turned back to the, to the true Israel of God, which includes the actual descendants of Abraham, who've been preserved unto the end of the age. And so the people of the world, even men from all these languages, are going to grab one that is Jewish and say, we want to go with you. We've heard that God is with you. And I think this also is a reference to, to those who are of the 144,000. When they are revealed as the mighty ones, full of the anointing without measure, you know, the people around them, it's going to be obvious who they are. And, and of course, the remnant will say, hey, do you, do you mind if we just accompany you? And, uh, of course, that's the reason the 144,000 will be here, is to accompany the remnant to the safe places that the Lord has appointed Hallelujah. Even the Lord himself is going to defend his remnant, as we read in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 8. And I will encamp, this is the Lord speaking, I will encamp about my house because of the army, because of the war that's taken place on the earth, because of him that passes by. The ones passing by are not exactly friendly. And because of him that returneth, and no oppressor shall pass through my people anymore. For now I've seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation. He is lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And here's another prophecy where, again, the text implies two fulfillments, riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And so, you know, the Lord again is going to come among us, this time as God, this time as the Lion of Judah, this time not as the man Jesus Christ, but as the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now the eternal King of Kings. He's once again going to come among us. And he said, I'm going to encamp around my house. The Lord himself is literally going to be camping with the remnant. And he's saying, I'm going to be there because of the armies of the enemy, and because of the ones that are passing by, because of the extreme danger in the earth, the Lord himself will be protecting his people. And he's coming among us, even as he came to Jerusalem riding upon a colt, so he will come among us riding upon the 144,000. And he will ride upon the two witnesses in the sense that the anointing without measure, which will be the very presence of God, which is the life of Jesus Christ, which shall become literally poured, the two witnesses who pour out the golden oil will pour out an anointing without measure that will come within the camp of the righteous, and we will see the Lord literally upon his people. And I know is that not just so amazing to know that that's where the remnant is going. The Lord himself will come upon his people. And, you know, really the same thing is going to happen in the world. The devil, who is the father of the wicked... He will ride on his people. The evil is going to come upon the people in the darkness. And great darkness will cover the earth. And even greater darkness, the mind of the people. And the abyss will open. And the demonic hordes that have been held back all of this millennium from direct communication or direct communion with the land of the living, the breach will open and it will spill out into this world. And you will see a world more demon-possessed than you can even imagine. The world will turn to complete evil. 
and the evil will manifest without measure. It will literally be completely poured out. And at the same time, the Lord says, and I'm going to camp around my people because of all of the evil that's going to be in the world. And you should rejoice, O daughter of Zion, because your king is coming to you. And the Lord is going to camp around you. And he's going to protect his little remnant. And the, the anointing without measure shall come upon the camp of the righteous. The curse without measure shall come upon the wicked, and the blessings without measure will be poured out upon the righteous. And if you don't know the Lord, this is a good time to repent. It's a good time to find faith. It's a good time to be born again. Praise God. Zechariah 9, verse 12. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Return to the stronghold. That's the Lord prisoners, the, the church, the people of God in slavery, even, even as I've shared in some of the prior messages, Israel had gone into slavery in Babylon in the natural, in the time of Zechariah, and actually Zechariah's prophecies came forth, they came under Zechariah at the very end of the time of captivity, and the time of deliverance was at hand, and so the Lord began to speak to a man whose name means the Lord remembers. And so the Lord began to speak of his promises to his people to deliver them at the end of the time of slavery. And yet the people were, the people were still prisoners, yet they were prisoners of hope. And the Lord says, even today I declare unto you that I will render double unto you so the Lord is not only going to save the remnant, he's going to restore them, and they're going to receive double of everything they lost. God's going to restore everything the enemy ever took from your life, and he's going to return to you double what was taken. And then he goes on and he says, When I have bent Judah for me, filling the bow with Ephraim, Judah shall become a bow, a weapon of war in the hand of the Lord. And Ephraim, which represents Israel, the ten tribes, they shall be my arrows. When I've raised up my sons of Zion against the Goyim who serve the dark one, and I will come against them as the sword of a mighty man. Here he's talking about the great war that will be fought between the sons of Zion and the, and the servants of the Antichrist. And the Lord is going to be the one wielding the weapons. The sons of Zion are merely the instruments of his warfare. It is the Lord who holds the bow. It is the Lord who aims the arrows. It is the Lord who lets the sons of Ephraim fly. And it is the Lord who brings the judgment upon the sons of the wicked. Hallelujah. Verse 14, Zechariah 9, 14. In case you were not following me, the Lord just spells it out clearly. And the Lord shall be seen over them, even as he rode on the colt, coming into Jerusalem in the natural. Now the Lord will again be riding on his people. He'll be over them in the spirit, and his arrow will go forth as lightning. God's weapons move as fast as the speed of light. They cross the horizon from east to west and back again 30,000 times in the blink of an eye. That's how fast God is. 186,000 miles per second. The weapons of his warfare shall go forth, and the Lord will blow the trumpet, and shall go with the whirlwinds. Of course, we know the reference to the whirlwind comes right out of Ezekiel chapter 1, where the Lord talks about the whirlwind coming forth. 
And the whirlwind came out of the north, and it was a fire enfolding itself. And out of the fire came creatures who had the image of a man. They appeared to be men, and yet they were the instruments of his judgment and the instruments of deliverance for his people. And it comes forth from the Lord. Verse 15, the Lord of hosts shall defend them. Who? The sons of Zion. We're going into this war. We're not going alone. The Lord's camping with us. The Lord will be seen over us. It is the Lord who will literally unleash the weapons of his warfare. And the Lord shall defend us. And they, who's that? That's the sons of Zion. They will devour. And that word literally means to consume, to burn with fire. Let me look up that exact word for you guys. And they shall devour. And, and the word is, pardon me one sec, it's a call. And it literally means to, to burn up, to consume, to destroy completely. God's army is not defeated in battle because the Lord is with them and the Lord is never defeated. They will burn up the earth. They will subdue with sling stones. They will drink and make noise. It's going to be a loud army as though wine. They shall be filled like bowls filled with an anointing without measure, and it's the corners of the altar where the horns of power are. The corners of the altar, brothers and sisters, that's where the horns were. And the horns represent the power. They're going to come forth with the very power of the Lord. And verse 16, the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land of Israel. The Lord talks about the remnant being the precious stones. He says, they shall be mine in that day when I take up my jewels and when I make my crown. So the remnant of his people are the jewels that the Lord has chosen. These are his most precious things. God did all of this from the very foundation of creation into eternity past through to the end of the age the Lord did all of this because he was looking for something that was precious to him. And that's this remnant. And they will be mine in that day, the Lord says. And he will save them as the flock of his people. So if you have been chosen to be part of the remnant, you don't need to be afraid. For the Lord your God is coming to save you, and he's mighty to save and he's going to reveal himself as the deliverer of his people. The people who love the truth, the Lord will let nothing evil come upon them. And they will be as jewels of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. And that ensign word is particularly fascinating. In the Hebrew, it's na'as, and it means to gleam from afar. In the twilight's last gleaming, it's a light that gleams and you can see this light. It's so bright, you can see it from far away. And it's conspicuous. It's a signal. The idea of a flag or a beacon or a standard lifted up on a high mountain. And it's the standard of righteousness. And it's the standard of truth. And it's full of the light and the presence of God. And they are the jewels in his crown. And he will lift them up in that day. Hallelujah. That, that reference to an ensign is, is um, in 
a number of places in Bible prophecy. I'll just mention a couple. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 26, and he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far away. This is the same ensign. These are the, the anointed sons of Zion that the Lord will use. This is the 144,000. This is the anointed remnant. This is the people that are going to be full of the anointing without measure. And he will hiss unto them. That word actually means whistle. The Lord's going to whistle. I've never heard the Lord whistle, but I'm looking forward to it. He's going to whistle unto his people from the end of the earth. And behold, they will come with speed swiftly. Isaiah 5:26. It says the Lord is going to lift up the ensign, that's the 144,000, to the nations from far. Everybody's going to know who these people are, you guys. There's no hiding the presence of God when he unveils himself. And even though the earth has become covered in complete darkness, and even though the minds of the people are now literally possessed by the deep sickness of the evil one, in the midst of that, grace will abound all the more, and the light of the very presence of God will be seen on the anointed ones. And they will be lifted up as an ensign to the nations. And he will whistle unto his remnant from the end of the earth. And behold, they will come with speed swiftly. That word for speed is mahara, and it means in a hurry. And when this thing finally unleashes, it's going to happen in a hurry. You know, they'll be saying peace and safety. It'll look like a day very much like today. I don't know if you remember September 10th. In the year 2001, or maybe the early morning of September 11th, it was a beautiful day in much of the country, just like today. It was quiet, it was peaceful, and then bang! The first airliner hit the World Trade Center, and the world changed suddenly, promptly, quickly. And so the Lord will whistle to his people. When the judgment sequence begins, <clears throat> they'll come quickly, hurriedly, and the word for swiftly is call, and it means light. They're going to literally come as if moving with the speed of light, swiftly. It's going to be fast. And so, you know, a lot of people today have no idea what the Lord's going to call them to do in the time that is ahead. But when God whistles for you, your life will change quickly. It'll be literally like in the blink of an eye, everything will change. And the Lord's going to call for you, and you're going to know what to do. So there's no reason to be stressing about it while we wait on God. Just be faithful to do the things the Lord told you to do. And everything will work out fine for you. Isaiah 5.27, None shall be weary nor stumble, this is the anointed ones, nor will they slumber nor sleep. Kind of reminds me of when I was typing the book for the Lord, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. I didn't really hardly sleep more than a couple hours a night. Neither shall the girl of their loins be loosed, or the latchet of their shoes broken. Their arrows are sharp. Their bows are bent. Their horses' hoofs are like flint. And their wheels, that's how they travel, like the whirlwind of fire. And their roaring shall be like a lion. Which lion? like the Lion of Judah, who will be within them. And they shall roar like young lions. Yeah, the people of God are going to be roaring. The 144,000 are going to be roaring. The Lord himself will roar from heaven. And they will lay hold of the prey, and none shall deliver it. In that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. 
And if you look unto the land, you're going to behold darkness and sorrow, and for the light is darkened in the heavens above. Only in the camp of the righteous will the light be seen. For the world which learned to love the lie shall be turned over to the lie, and the lie in the end is complete and utter darkness, blackness. Go do a Bible study of that word black if you don't understand. There's, it appears in the scripture 18 times. It paints a picture pretty clearly of what is at the end of the darkness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isaiah 31, 9. And he shall pass over to his stronghold, and his princes shall be afraid because of the ensign. Yes, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and his furnaces in Jerusalem. The Lord is going to be purging people with fire and judgment. Better to do some purging on your own with fasting and prayer. Far more comfortable process. Do this in the comfort of your own home and do the fasting and prayer that the Lord is admonishing of the people. Or wait, do it later, and do it with the furnace that will be in Jerusalem. And in that time when the anointing without measure comes forth in the ensign, the princes will be afraid. Trust me, when the presence of God comes in the room, everyone will be afraid. Everyone who's got anything left of the flesh, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Let's move on to Zechariah chapter 10. And they shall be as mighty men. Again, the Lord is telling us, these are the sons of Zion that I'm going to bend as a bow. These are the great the great army of the Lord. Isaiah 13, I've called my mighty ones, he said. They come for my anger to execute the judgment that is written and to destroy the whole earth. And uh, they're not coming to recycle. They're not coming to celebrate Earth Day. They're coming to bring an end to the kingdom of Babylon. And they're coming to bring the judgment to the one world government of the Antichrist. And they're coming to bring the final battle to the enemies of God. And believe me, this is a battle that will be won decisively by the Lord. The Lord is going to win the final battle. And it will be a devastating defeat for the camp of the dark ones. It will also be a time of peace and a time of rejoicing in the camp of the remnant, which is just simply amazing. But, you know, that's why the Lord has to move the remnant. He moves them to the place of safety so they don't have to partake in what's going on in Babylon, in the final one world government. But his anointed ones shall be as mighty men. They will tread down their enemies and mire in the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be confounded. You know, the reason, what the text is saying is, here the men of God are coming. They're mighty men, Godol, and the great ones. These are the Gabarim, these are the mighty ones who come. And they're literally going to trample the enemy. They're going to trample the forces of the Antichrist. And they're going to fight because the Lord is with them. They're not going to do this in their own strength. And the riders on horses is a reference to the, to the camp of the enemy, who will possess superior technology. Horsemen would normally defeat foot soldiers in a conventional battle. But here in Zechariah 10, verse 5, we're told that these money men will trample. They'll be walking. These are foot soldiers who will defeat horsemen. And so the horsemen will be completely confused. How could we possibly be losing... We have superior weapons. We have satellites and 
cruise missiles and we have lasers and we have all this technology and you know even brain waves to alter the brains of the people and and yet here come these men and they are trampling us like we're mud in the streets they have no weapons with them all they have with them is their lord and he is I have to believe the Lord is looking forward to this. He has wanted this for a long time. If you remember back in the Gospels, at one point, you know, the Lord said to his disciples, you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? I tell you, no, I have not come to bring peace. Rather, I came to bring a sword and a division, and henceforth, The people will be divided. No, the cross of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ and the truth of Holy Scripture and the revelation of Jesus Christ is the dividing line of eternity, and it's the dividing line between the two kingdoms. On one side, the people who love the truth, who've been been embraced by the Lord, and he's chosen them as his brethren. And on the other side, everybody who hides under the covering of the lie. And the children of the lie, the people of the lie, hate and persecute the people of the truth. But now the Lord himself is joining the battle. And so it's curtains for the children of the lie. Zechariah 10, verse 6, And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I'll bring them again to place them. So the Lord's restoring these houses from the tribe of Judah and Joseph. And of course, Joseph really represents two tribes having been given a double portion for the persecution and the, and the affliction that he endured. He, he now possesses the blessings of both Manasseh and Ephraim, and yet he's mentioned here as Joseph, and the Lord says, I'm bringing them again to place them. He has a place for them, for I will have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Lord their God. And I will hear them. You know, what a blessed, what a blessed promise from the Lord that the, the tribe of Judah. Now, the house of Judah often represents the southern kingdom, which really represents Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes that didn't go into rebellion. And then the house of Joseph, which, as I mentioned, is Manasseh and Ephraim. Here the Lord is saying, I'm gathering them again. And it will be as though I never cast them off. They'll be restored to the original place of holiness in the Lord that they had. And, of course, Judah was the first choice of the Lord, and Joseph was the favored son. So here, you know, this is a picture of the remnant being placed in a, really a a place of, of preference in the eyes of God. You know, Judah is a big deal. You know, the the Lord came from Judah. He could have come from any of the 12 tribes. But no, he decided he would come forth out of the tribe of Judah and out of the house of David. And then, of course, Joseph being a type and a shadow of the ministry of Jesus, also being singled out for special blessing. Zechariah, moving on to chapter 11, verse 3. And now we're going to talk about the church. Now we're going to talk about the Laodicean church here, you guys. And uh, Frank, how are we? How are we doing for time? Uh, we got an hour, brother. Oh, okay. we, uh, got, it's going to be. Oh, good. We got two hours on this one, so let uh, you know. Take what you need. Okay, great. Well, in okay. Zechariah chapter eleven, we're going to deal with the um, 
with the compromised church now. There's a voice of howling of the pastors and the shepherds. For their glory is now spoiled. A voice of the roaring of young lions. For the pride of Jordan is spoiled. And a howling will be heard in, in the compromised church. And as much as this is going to be a time of, of great blessing for the remnant, this is going to be a tough time. The spirit of burning is no joke, people. You know, God says the judgment that's coming, their faces will appear as if on fire. That the stress of what is coming upon America and what is coming upon the compromised church, the church that lives in the outer court, the church that, you know, the sad thing is this church doesn't even know that it's been deceived. This church doesn't know that it's walking in apostasy. This church doesn't know that it's actually, literally sleeping with the woman, Jezebel. This church doesn't know that it's embraced the false prophets, that it's been full of uh, doctrines of devils, that it no longer endures sound doctrine, that it has literally been cast away spiritually, and that the Lord, if the Lord ever was among them, in many, many of the houses of worship, the Lord has long since left the building. They don't know. Even as Israel, 2,000 years ago, after Jesus was raised, they continued the temple service. The Pharisees continued. The high priests continued. The ritual continued. And they didn't know that the Spirit of God had left, that the Lord had already departed and left the building. They didn't know until the judgment came. And so, too, in the apostate church and the Laodicean church, where the Lord said, I'm going to spit you out. If you don't repent and return to me, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, this is what the spitting is going to look like. There will be a howling. They're going to be crying out. I, I actually heard this when the Lord translated me into the future, and I saw the judgment on the church. I heard the people howling. And, uh, Mercy. And... It sounded like um, a herd of pigs squealing. It was a high-pitched, it was horrible to listen to. And they were naked. The people were all naked. They were being herded to the slaughter. Their glory being spoiled. Thus saith the Lord God, Zechariah 11, verse 4, Feed the flock of the slaughter. That's literally what I saw. And that's what's happening today. The people are being fed, only they're, they're being fed as the flock of the slaughter. And, you know, and I would pull them out. I mean, <clears throat> seriously, if I could, I would grab them and get them out of there. And it's uh, the reason I wrote the book, the, or I should say typed the book, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. It's the reason I've preached for 20 years. It's the reason I've begged and pleaded with weeping and tears and fasting and prayer, I have tried to pull the people out of this judgment. And, you know, there has been a remnant that has responded, and it comforted Amen. me, you know, like God has touched the lives of some, and they, they have chosen to return to the Lord, but most of the Laodicean church, you can't reach them. They don't, they don't want to listen. They think they're rich and in need of nothing. What could go wrong? Well, they're considered the flock of the slaughter in the eyes of God. 
And look at verse 5, whose possessors slay them. You could sort of say, you know, who owns, who owns the flock of the slaughter today? Well, in a lot of assemblies, their, their leaders refer to them as giving units. You know, they're considered to be the property of the pastor or the church. You know, they're, more, they're valued most for the tithes that they bring. And their possessors, their pastors, kill them by feeding them poisonous doctrines. They're being fed a gospel that is a mixture. It's got lies mixed in. And they, yet they hold themselves not guilty. Their pastors assume they're innocent. And they that sell them say, blessed be the Lord. They're, they're selling the people. You know, you can merge your church with my church, but I want 40% of the tithe for the next X years. They're selling the people. They make a merchandise of the people, and then they say, blessed be the Lord. We're rich. And their own shepherds pity them not. I've seen this firsthand. You know, these the pastors that have no concern for the sheep. Somebody stops going to the assembly. Nobody seeks them out. Nobody goes looking for the lost sheep. They can be replaced. Another giving unit will take their place. The shepherds pity them not. Verse 6, I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. I will deliver the men, every one, into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king, and they shall smite the land, and out of their hand I will not deliver. Zechariah 11. So the Lord is dealing with now the judgment coming forth in the camp of the, of the wicked. There will be no more pity for the inhabitants of the land, no more pity for the apostate church, no more pity for the people walking in compromise. The Lord will pass by it no more. Now the judgment comes, and everyone will be delivered into the hand of his neighbor. There will be violence everywhere. And, you know, we're already seeing this in an emotional and in a spiritual sense where how many people are offended today. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take anything. No, no, people no, become offended. No. Nothing. The littlest thing. And, and friends from a lifetime are suddenly enemies. That red horse has been already riding in the spirit. It's already been riding and affecting relationships as, as conflict and bitterness and anger. And it doesn't matter why. It's just literally stirred up by the devil. And I literally heard one person say, uh, recently, I hated you, and I don't even know why. They hated me. They didn't know why they hated me. Well, they hated me because the devil that was inhabiting them hated, I guess, something that I was doing. And they know that's how it's going to be. People are going to hate one another. They're not even going to know why they hate you. But everyone's hand will be turned against his neighbor. Zechariah 11, verse 9. Then said I, I will not feed you. This is the Lord. That which will die, let it die. You know, let the dead bury the dead. And that which is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat everyone the flesh of another. A time of cannibalism is coming. A time of famine and starvation. And ultimately, cannibalism is coming in the camp of the wicked. And this happened before in Jerusalem. The mothers cooked their children. Now, for me, I think I would prefer fasting and prayer to cannibalism. 
I don't think I'm ever going there, but apparently a lot of people will because let the rest of them eat each other. And that's the ultimate judgment, a time of economic deprivation and starvation to the point where it becomes the Donner Party and the people begin to eat one another. Now, at the same time, the Lord says, of the remnant, I will feed them the finest of wheat, and their water will be provided. Their, their safety will be ensured by the Lord. So here we've got the remnant being fed. The Lord says, I'm feeding my remnant with the finest of wheat. Not only is God going to provide for his remnant, he's going to give them the very best of the land. And at the same time, in the cities of the wicked, as the black horse rages through, they will begin to eat one another. The ones that haven't died from the war, the ones that didn't die from the sword, the ones that weren't cut off from the violence or the plagues, the disease, the disasters, the residue that remained will begin to eat one another. I mean, it's almost, you know, it's hard to even fathom that this is really coming. It's so outrageous. And at the same time, I'm going to be in the camp of the righteous where the finest of wheat will be served and the water will be sure and the children will be playing soccer and the families will be rejoicing and the, the favor of God will be upon the camp. The Lord himself will be guarding his people. I mean, you know, seriously, you guys, which destiny do you want? Do you want to be among the remnant? Or do you want to be among the flock of the slaughter? Those are the only two choices. Now, within the flock of the slaughter, you can, you know, there's multiple outcomes, but none of them are any good. Zechariah 11, verse 10, And I took my staff beauty, and I cut it asunder, that I would break my covenant that I made with all of the people. And it was broken in that day, and, and Zechariah literally broke his staff. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Here, Zechariah had a small little group of people that were listening to him. They weren't the rich. They were the poor. You know, so it is today. The remnant, you know, not many of us are rich. Not many of us are great. We're just the little people. We're the afflicted people. We're the poor people. Yet we know we're hearing the word of the Lord. And so, too, Zechariah had a small little flock of people that waited upon him. They knew it was the word of the Lord. And so I said unto them, If you think it is good, give me my price. Pay me. And if not, forbear. So they weighed forth my price 30 pieces of silver. You know, there's a prophecy where it talks about they sell the righteous for silver. And, you know, of course, this reference to the 30 pieces of silver is a reference to the... The, the selling of Jesus Christ. And there's also, you know, a, a prophecy in another part of the scripture where it says, and they sold the righteous for silver. And, of course, that was a reference to the sale with Judas for surrendering or betraying the Lord, but also the sale of Joseph, who was also sold, although in Joseph's case, he was only sold for 20 pieces of silver. So the Lord was worth 10 more silver coins. And the Lord says, you know, give me my price. You know, that goodly price, that wonderful price that you paid for my life. 
Give me those 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it under the potter, the goodly price at which I was prized of them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, and I cast it to the potter in the house of the Lord. And that's exactly what Judas did. Exactly what was done. And, you know, Joseph's brothers, I think they might have spent the 20 pieces of silver. I don't know. The, the Scripture doesn't tell us what did they do, you know. The 11 of them that had their, or maybe it was 10 of them, I guess. Benjamin wasn't among them. The 10 brothers that had the 20 pieces of silver, each of them went home that day with two silver coins hidden in their purse. Of course, they couldn't tell their father, hey, look what we found. Oh, by the way, that your son, jo- is this his coat, Joseph? I think some wild animal killed him, but hey, you know, bad news for Joseph, but it was a good day for us. Look what we found, Father. Each of us got two silver coins, right? I don't think so. How would they explain, you know, well, we found the silver coins in, a, in, in the pit we threw Joseph. Well, sorry, no, we didn't throw Joseph in a pit. A wild beast killed him. But, and then we found 20 silver coins at the same place, right? They would have had to hide those silver coins from their father. When would they have spent them? Where would they have spent them? Did they use them in Egypt? When they appeared before their brother? I wonder. Scripture is silent. Interesting question. But here, the silver is literally thrown into the potter's field in the house of the Lord. Verse 14. Then I cut asunder my other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And of course, you know, this speaks prophetically of the, the division between the people. But I think, you know, as we know, the Prophecies fulfilled twice, you know, also a breaking of the brotherhood at the end of the age is upon us, symbolized by Judah and Israel. Now, Judah is faithful with God, and of course Judah, as I mentioned, represents the southern kingdom. Israel, the northern kingdom, was the first to fall into slavery, into idolatry, and into rebellion. And so, you know, Israel followed the Baals, and they they served other gods at Bethel. And so, you know, could this also be a picture of the division between the true church and the false? Judah representing the people that continued to be faithful to the Lord and who didn't worship the other gods. And Israel being the people of apostasy, the outer court church, the the church that became the ministry of death, if you will. The congregations of the dead, the scripture refers to them. In the Proverbs we read, The man who wanders out of the way of understanding shall remain among the congregations of the dead. And there are congregations of the dead where the entire church is dead, where the pastor speaks death. And unto those people... Only the ministry of death is given unto them, and yet it seems right in their eyes. And they will, they'll argue with you about Bible doctrines, because they've got Bibles in their hands. But they've got hell, they've got sin, they've got lies in their hearts. And so, too, you know, here a division is occurring between light and darkness. And then the Lord said unto me, verse 15, Take unto thee yet the instrument of a foolish, and that word also means wicked shepherd, For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not visit those that be cut off, 
neither will he seek the young, nor heal that which is broken, nor feed those that are standing still, but he will eat the flesh of the fat, and he will tear their claws in pieces. And I believe this is actually, you know, it's been fulfilled in many ways by the false church where the pastors literally devour the people. I also think uh, perhaps this is a prophecy of the false prophet who will be in the, the pope, if you will, over the one world church of the Antichrist. You know, because the Antichrist will come forth following the Great War, which should take place sooner than later, and then once the one world government of the Antichrist is in political power, the false prophet will come forward to unite all the world's religions. And so he will actually be bring. he will literally be building a one world congregation of the dead. And he will minister death unto the people. And he'll be a wicked shepherd. Verse 17, say, woe to the idol right shepherd. Benjamin, from I would say that ministry seems to already be in effect right now from uh, coming right out of the Vatican. But anyways, I'll I'll leave that alone. Well, you're absolutely right, brother. <clears throat> you know the uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, this current pope who you know looks a whole lot like the false prophet should look. They released those doves in that ceremony for peace out of the windows in the Vatican, and those doves they didn't make it one second before blackbirds devoured them and literally tore them to pieces and so you know they are going to promise peace but there will be no peace under the leadership of the wicked shepherds because these men are actually servants of the beast and uh, you know who could have imagined such evil would come but the lord told us you know take heed let no man deceive you because deceptions are everywhere. Let's move on to Zechariah 12. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, who stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all of the people round about. And when they shall be in siege against Judah and against Jerusalem. <clears throat> now it's interesting. The, the word was given to Israel. Jerusalem, which is in the land of Benjamin and was part of the southern kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem shall become a cup of trembling. We're sure seeing that today. America announces they'll move their embassy to Jerusalem, practically starts a world war. The nations are already organizing. We're seeing the agreements being signed between Turkey and Iran and Russia, you know, Gog, Magog, and all the kings of the earth thereof that are going to join the Communist Arab Alliance. They're all organizing. Jerusalem itself is the cup of trembling, and yet they're going to lay siege also against Judah when they come. So it's the true camp. They're coming against the saints of the Most High, not against the apostates. And in that day, verse 3, I'll make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, although all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So that Jerusalem is going to be, even as it is today, the centerpiece of the Arab-Israeli conflict, the centerpiece of this global war that is coming. And no nation is going to be able to lift it. Anyone that touches it is going to be cut by it. Because the Lord has returned to Jerusalem. He's saying, no, it's my city. That's the Lord's hometown. And he will have his house in it, the Temple Mount. 
is the place for the future house of the Lord. And I'm not talking the third temple that will be built, or at least it appears they will begin the construction during the Great Tribulation. I'm talking about after the Lord returns. That's his home site. I don't know, you guys that have been to Israel, if you've been up on the Temple Mount, and you've seen the portion of the land that, that the Lord has chosen for his house, it's a good piece of property. Probably, certainly the most valuable piece of property in the entire earth. The whole world will be coming against that little piece of real estate. But, you know, the thing that strikes me about the Temple Mount and the land the Lord has apportioned for himself, for his future home, considering he's the king of kings, it's not that huge of a house. You know, the Lord is, he truly is humble. He, it's going to be quite large compared to, you know, non-kings. But for the king of kings, this will be a humble abode. And I'm, I really love the Lord's home site. I just think it's so awesome. I can't wait to go visit the Lord when he builds his new house there. And I'm sure you guys will be there, too. And, oh, this stuff will be behind us. You know, we'll be looking back and, and rejoicing in, in how God did wondrous deeds to fulfill his word and save his people. But Amen. back to text, Jerusalem is, in today's world has become the burdensome stone. Look at verse 4. In that day, what day is that? That's when the judgment is poured out, the great war has begun. In that day... I will smite every horse with astonishment, with madness, and his rider with madness. And so, you know, the people will literally, it's as if that word for astonishment means just anger, and, you know, people are going to be literally furious, and the word for madness means furiousness, craziness. And are we not seeing that today? People are just going crazy i was having coffee with a friend in an outside you know a little coffee store and and a woman seated on a table a few rows back started to go crazy you know literally having i don't know if it was an epileptic seizure or i mean the demonic was just manifesting and two police officers just happened to be walking up and and i stopped him i said officer you know you need to attend to this woman she seems to be losing her mind. And so the nations themselves will be losing their mind. And I will open my eyes on the house of Judah. See, the Lord's going to be watching over his people again, right in the middle of all the crazy. And I will smite every horse of the people with blindness. You know, the horses were the military weapons. And, you know, the Lord is literally going to blind. All, their technology will become worthless. God's saying, I'm going to blind their military weapons every horse of the people everything of the flesh that the people would use to project their power will become worthless what good is a horse that is blind it's not good at all it just runs into things you can't even ride it or it'll crush you and in that day i will smite every horse with astonishment every horse with blindness and the governors of judah shall say in their heart the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts. And in that day I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. God's now pouring out the anointing on the leadership of the true church. And like a torch of fire and a sheep, and they will devour all the people round about. You know, this is the anointing that's coming. It's come, 
brothers and sisters, it's going to literally be a fire, and it will burn up all of the people round about. And when God says all, he actually means all. They're going to burn up all the people on the right and on the left, and Jerusalem will be inhabited again. And verse 7, and the Lord will save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, would not magnify themselves against Judah. So the Lord's even, the, the way he's going to order the deliverance of his people will be to ensure that the people remain humble. Isn't that amazing? God does not want us to get a big head. Look, if you're part of the remnant, there's nothing we did to deserve to be in the remnant, okay? We're not better than them. In many cases, some of us were worse than them. But God gave us the fruit of our own ways, and we learned it was a bitter harvest, and we cried out to the Lord, and he heard our cries, and he turned our hearts back to him. We are no better than the ones that are perishing. And the Lord doesn't want us to get a big head because he's going to do a mighty deliverance in our camp. We need to remember who we are, and without him we are nothing. So he orders his deliverance in such a way that the people wouldn't glorify themselves one against another. And uh, it's hard for me to understand how the people could be thinking like that, but apparently that was an issue that God's going to deal with in that time. And in that day, verse 8, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. See, you guys, Jesus is coming forth. This is the second half of his seven-year ministry. It is he who confirms the covenant of life, which his father made with Abraham and with the descendants of his people, including the Goyim that would be gathered in, grafted in. And so the Lord came 2,000 years ago as the Lamb of God. Now he's coming as the Lion of Judah, and the Lord himself will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look at this. He that is feeble among them shall be like David. Okay, this is the ones that are the weak and the small. They're going to be as mighty as King David was. And the house of David shall be as God and the angel of the Lord before them. The descendants of Israel from the house of David. And, of course, who's the son of David? Jesus. These are the people that are going to walk out the second half of the seven-year ministry. This is the 144,000 who come as the ministers of the ministry of Jesus Christ, as the line of Judah. They're going to be like God or like the angel of the Lord. Well, if you recall, the angel of the Lord came and, and made war against the Assyrian army. And in one evening, he destroyed the entire Assyrian army, 185,000 men in one night. And since they move at the speed of light, there could have been 185 million Syrian soldiers. That angel could have eliminated all of them. And the Lord could do it in a word. And so the house of David will be as God, because they will be full of an anointing without measure. And the Lord will be seen riding on them, even as he rode upon a colt coming into Jerusalem. Now he'll be riding on his people. We are the new temple. The God in you is going to come forth in the fullness of his power. And he's going to bring an end to the controversy of Zion. And he's going to judge the world regarding this matter known as the truth. 
and regarding the issue of righteousness. And if we want to be among the remnant, then we better settle the matter of the truth and the love of the truth and this issue of righteousness. We better settle it in our own li lives, and we better settle it according to the plumb line of the Lord. Verse 9, it will come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all of the nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh, I, I think of Jeremiah chapter 25. And I will judge all of the nations that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said in Jeremiah 25, I believe it was uh, verse 26, and all the kings of the earth... And all the kingdoms of the world, which are upon the face of the earth, the Lord is going to enter into judgment after he judges the Babylon of the Chaldeans at the time of the end. After a 70-year reign. Well, when did Babylon of the Chaldeans begin to reign the earth? Well, it appears in 1948. But perhaps, you know, the reign of Babylon Chaldea, Babylon America, wasn't complete, but, you know, their power wasn't complete until the end of 1948. Perhaps the counting of the 70 years begins in 1949, and might we have one year? We shall see, brothers and sisters. You know, doesn't matter to me. I had a dear friend tell me, you know, you should be very careful, Benjamin. You know, you, you, you made a comment that the Great War might come in 70 years following the reign of America, and I'm like, I should be careful for what? Careful that I be accused of being a false prophet? It's not a prophecy. It's an observation of Scripture. I've already been wrong before. People, you know, have made, you know, quite about a bit of noise about it. You know, so be it. The Lord is my deliverer. You know, let the flock of the slaughter engage in their chatter. In the house of the remnant, in the days that are coming, you know, the Lord told me, you will not be ashamed. I'm going to redeem you and vindicate you in the eyes of my people. You know, if the Lord vindicates us, then we get vindicated. And if the Lord rebukes us, then we stand rebuked. What the men say means nothing in this time. I remember back, and the Lord said to me, I, you know, I, I was somewhat concerned about what people were, were saying and, uh, or thinking, and I remember the Lord saying to me, why are you so concerned with what the men think? In the end, they think only of themselves, he said. Now, why are we concerned, you know, with what men who are about to die should say? You know, let the dead bury the dead. Feed the flock of the slaughter. You know, let them eat their steak. Let them eat the blood. Let them eat the demonic and the cursed articles. Let them stay in the place of compromise and let them walk in the, in the spirit of accusation and let them not see or receive or discern the true word of God. Let them follow the imagination of their own mind as they're fattened up to the day of the slaughter. This day of the minutes, Lord deal, it's the real deal. Go ahead, Frank. 30 minutes, brother. Amen. Yeah, I think when I listen to certain teachers, you know, people who call themselves watchmen, I marvel at the things I hear because I, I think perhaps they've never listened to their message. They seem to have forgotten that the day of the Lord is coming. If you're not part of the remnant, this is not going to be a good time for you. And the remnant are not a people that are high and lifted up. And 
you know, in all honesty, the remnant are very few. Most of the people who who are watching alternative news assume themselves part of the remnant because they figured out that time is at hand. Well, you know, may God show mercy unto you. Verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they will look upon me, Jesus, whom they have pierced. Now, this is the actual second coming. And they shall mourn for him, or the Lord is revealing himself to the people. And they realize that Jesus is Messiah, and they will mourn for him as an only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddon, which is the place where Armageddon will take place. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, the family of David apart, their wives apart. You know, the solemn assemblies are a time of separation of men and women for the simple reason that we've been called to mourning. And all the families shall mourn. And in Zechariah 13, after the time of mourning, after the time of repentance, Zechariah 13, and in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what is needed in the land. This is what is needed in the church. And this is what can be accomplished through prayer and fasting alone in this time. A fountain can open for cleansing, to remove sin and the uncleanliness. It will come in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. No more will they even speak their names. And they shall no more be remembered. God doesn't even want the names of these false gods to be spoken in his land. And, and I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. And isn't it interesting that the prophet and the unclean spirit go hand in hand, and God gets rid of them as well. He's getting rid of the idols. He's getting rid of the false gods. He's going to cast out the unclean spirit. And, oh, by the way, what belongs in that group is the majority of the people who call themselves a prophet. And it will come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, that their mother or father will say unto them, You shall not live, for you have spoken a lie in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through. They'll kill him. When he prophesies, how would it be that that would be now, and that the false prophets would all be silenced? The Lord warned us in this time, many false prophets would come. And yet, the people, it's as if we just ignore everything that God says. The people still flock around and want to listen to these prophets. You know, there's some fireman prophet. Yeah, right. He's going to be burning soon enough. His words will set him on fire. They're utterly false. The entire camp of, you know, the false prophet list that circulates, you know, Elijah does not write for the Elijah list. There is a true witness coming. The branch. He's revealed as Joshua, the high priest. 
He's also revealed as the branch. It's the ensign that will be lifted up on the top of the mountains. And he, two of them, who will be witnesses for the Lord, they shall prophesy. They will be true prophets. But here at the time of the end, the false prophets are history. And with them, the unclean spirits as well. There'll be no more people prophesying. It shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed of their visions when they prophesied. Neither shall they wear rough garments to deceive. The prophets deceive. You know, I had one person, this was a couple years back, there was this huge deception that occurred. I've never seen anything like it, you guys. It was like nonstop for 60 days, and it was one thing after another. One false prophet after another was bombarding me. I mean, it was hundreds of people who were not no didn't even know each other were you know literally speaking all these false prophets and dreams and it was quite impressive and and one of the people you know claimed to have had a waking vision and and then later in time they this person circled back into my life and said to me you know i can't remember if the, i really had a vision or if i just made the whole thing up <laughs> brothers and sisters, I have had legitimate visions where I've been caught up into the Spirit. And I remember being caught up into the Spirit, and I did not make the whole thing up. But the false prophets, they wore garments to deceive. And it was lies that were the web they weaved. And they came to lie to you. And the vision was false. And it was all a deception. I place zero confidence in prophetic words from other people. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a true spirit of prophecy, a true gift of the Holy Spirit, but if you ever receive a true prophecy, it will be confirmed for you. And do not place confidence in the fact 10, 20, 100 people come to you and tell you, it was confirmed to me. That's what happened to me. I had 100 people telling me this prophetic word was being confirmed. God never confirmed it to me. Guess what? It was a lie. And so were the hundred false prophets who claimed the confirmation. They too were liars. And in this time, the Lord told us, many false prophets will come. Nowhere in the scripture does it say many true prophets shall come. And so the false prophet and the spirit, the unclean spirit of false prophecy, is literally thrust out of the land. No more garments deceiving the people. And now they will say, I'm no prophet. I'm just an accountant. I've heard from the Lord, but that doesn't make me a prophet. And then one will say unto him, What are these wounds in your hands? And he shall answer, These are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Isn't it interesting? That's the statement Jesus will make. And yet in the context of Zechariah 13, verse 6, it appears again, as if spoken of by one of the people. You know, we'll see how that is fulfilled. Verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord, the man that is my brother, smite the shepherd, and the sheep be scattered. And this is the time of the, the great judgment in the house. It will come to pass, saith the Lord, two parts will be cut off and die, but the third will be left. And the third part will pass through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold. They'll call on my name, and I will hear them. And I will say, 
They are my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. And that, by the way, that phrase, the Lord is my God, that is the name of Elijah in Hebrew, Eliyahu, the Lord is my God. So here the people are shouting, Elijah, the Lord is our God. Zechariah 14, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Amen, brothers and sisters. It truly is coming. And it's coming quickly now. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. And I will gather the nations all of the nations against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. The houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city will go into captivity. The residue will not be cut off. A remnant will come out of Jerusalem. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. This is World War III. This is Ezekiel 38. This is when the great shaking comes in the mountains of Israel, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, this is a literal second coming at this point, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Verse 6, It will come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear, nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. It will come to pass at evening time. It shall be light. So the scriptures describing the time of twilight. In the twilight's last gleaming, boom, the light of the Lord will come. And then the light will come. And it shall be in that day the living waters will go out of Jerusalem. And the Lord will be king over all of the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. And the Lord is one. There is one Lord. And his name is one. Hallelujah. Verse 14. And this shall be the plague with the Lord with which the Lord will smite the people that fight against Jerusalem. Their flesh will be burned while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall be burned right out of the holes in their skull, and their tongue will be burned from within their mouths. This is a picture of the, the nuclear war that is fought in the land. It will come to pass in that day a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. They shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, you know, again, the conflict among the people. And Judah will fight in Jerusalem. It will come to pass that all of those that are left of the Lord will come and worship the great king. And in that day there will be bells on the horses, holiness unto the Lord. So we're, at, we're literally at the, the end of the age and the second coming, and now and the survivors now enter into the time appointed following the the culmination of this age. And so we are at the end of the book of Zechariah, and the last thing in the book is the statement that in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord. And, you know, that word for Canaanite means trafficker. There'll be no more uh, traffickers, no more people who are engaged in the business of Christianity. No more ministries whose primary focus is the money. Believe me, there are a lot of ministries where the money is center stage in what they do. And, you know, every decision is weighed by how big a tithe can we take, how much can we get from the people, how much can we get from the ministry. And that will be over. There will be no more trafficking in the truth of the Lord. Now it will be the true ministry.
the ministry of truth instead of the ministry of money. Amen. And Frank, I'm ending 15 minutes early, so if there's any questions or anything, I mean... I have a quick question. I know we have 15 minutes, and I I talked to you about it before, but there was one part in Zechariah that I kind of... If you could just touch on it briefly, and that was about the myrtle tree. Um, we talked about maybe hitting it a little bit. You know, You know how important it was to me. This thing shook me up years ago. And how the myrtle tree... And how they would, you know, gather these on the Sabbath day as a bouquet. And how does that all tie into the remnant? <laughs> you like that myrtle tree, huh? Man, it, it shook me some years ago, and I can't found this out. Hallelujah. Let me just go. Okay, the, yeah, the myrtle tree. The, the myrtle tree, and this is the red horses. They were They were pictured literally behind the myrtle trees. And the myrtle tree is really a picture of the remnant because the myrtle tree... Is a picture of humility. The myrtle tree was probably the smallest of trees, if it even belongs in the category of a tree. It's more like a little shrub or a little bush. And, um, you know, it's just a picture of, you know, we would think God, you know, would always want to choose the great things of the flesh, but really the opposite is the case. You know, the, the great cedars of Lebanon and the oaks of Bashan, these are all rejected of the Lord. Instead, the Lord's looking to the, the littlest and the humblest, and God's ways are not our ways. And so the myrtle tree is really just a picture of the fact that the Lord prefers that which is rejected of men, and the Lord despises that which men honor. You know, his ways are the exact opposite. You know, and we see the same thing in the choosing of the two witnesses. You know, the scripture tells us they are among the least of the saints, and they come from the lowest place, from the, the place of the absolute emptying out, the place of total depression. You know, instead of, you know, great successful people, God picks people that were greatly burned in the fire, and who've come completely to the end of themselves. And the myrtle tree is sort of a picture of that as well. You know, something that is, we would have passed by the myrtle trees is not even being worthy of comment. And yet the Lord uses them as a picture of the remnant that he prefers. It's interesting how uh, one of the things you mentioned a few years ago when talking about the myrtle tree, how, um, you know, it's obviously not the big tree. It's not magnificent. It's not like a big, you know, the oaks and, you know, and the cedars of Lebanon. It's nothing like that. But uh, how when you would take that tree and you would crush it, the fragrance that would be given off. And the picture of the remnant being crushed. And, and, and I don't know anybody right now, Benjamin Hartley, that's um, not feeling like they're being crushed uh, or oh. feeling like they're being attacked. And, and it's amazing Good. that when they're crushed, they smell so beautiful. Amen. Yeah, the, the remnant... You know, the reason the remnant are preserved in the judgment, they've already passed through the fire. They've already seen the judgment. You know, in the, in the case of the remnant, it happened over decades. And they went through one fire and one trial, one, you know, persecution after another. While the Laodicean church was feasting, they were weeping. And in many cases... You know, I've got close friends who, um, devout believers, 
they had a small child drown in the pool at their home. They ended up getting kicked out of the church. You know, that those things don't happen to godly people. Godly people are like us Laodiceans. You know, we're rich in need of nothing. Something's wrong with you if you've lost a child, if you've been through a divorce, if you've had a disease. You know, and the scripture says, you know, that they were afflicted and we esteemed as if they were being persecuted by God. You know, even as when Jesus was afflicted and everybody, you know, the religious people were judging him as being punished by God for something he had done, so too the remnant went through, and many of them, really hard afflictions, hard circumstances, and the church couldn't handle it. It didn't mix in with their Laodicean culture, you know? I mean, they're all living the good life, and then here's these people going through these you know, trials of fire. You know, you just can't be, you know, living on beds of ivory, drinking the finest wine from, you know, golden chalices, and then have your best friend Job at the party when he's going through his pouring out process. He will ruin the whole affair. So the church just escorted the remnant out the back door, really. And they were told never come back. Something's wrong with you, you know. We're all living the good life. You keep having one trauma after another. You know, you went from from slavery to prison in, in Egypt. I mean, what do you think the people thought of Joseph? Here he was a slave. Obviously, he did something wrong. You don't just get sold into slavery by your brothers if you're innocent, right? There's no way Joseph can spin that story. What family sells their own brother into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. It's unheard of. Yet it happened. And then from there, on to prison. And and with no hope of ever coming out of prison. And if Joseph were to tell his story, anybody that would be listening would be thinking, you know, everyone in prison is innocent in their own mind, but yet they're all there because they're guilty. Somebody would be thinking, oh, Joseph, you really deserved this. You know, and I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about because you've walked it out. You know, if you're listening to me, you know, if you can tolerate the megaton of truth that I bring to the party, because I don't pull punches. And you know why? Because I've seen the day that is coming. I didn't just read about it in a book. I had a chance to live in the day of the Lord. I've already been to the Great Tribulation. And the Lord told me every soul will go through the fire that you endured. And i got to tell you, brothers and sisters, it was more than I could handle. It broke me. And, I, you know, I, I'm not that tough, so, you know, don't get too upset, you know. Maybe you'll be tough enough to handle the Great Tribulation. It broke me the first time I did it. And, you know, I'm glad that I've had a, a, you know, practice run at this thing because, you know, uh, maybe I'll do better the second time. But in any event, the day's coming. But, Benjamin, I I remember, um, um, you know, you mentioned when when the Lord showed you this years ago, um, talking about breaking you, you, you said you were so, you were afraid to even get your kids milk afterwards. 
And the reason I bring that up is because I think people don't, sometimes it's easy to forget just how bad this world's going to get and how important it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Close to the Lord right now. I mean, you know, Frank, some people may not comprehend what I'm talking about. I was translated into the future. I was shown the judgment that's coming. I was shown the persecution of the church. I literally, and it wasn't a vision, I was there walking around. And then when the Lord took me back, in my mind, it was still the tribulation. And, you know, even though I really wasn't living in the actual tribulation period, I was living in the year 1996, in my mind, for the next seven days, I was in the tribulation. And I, literally in the morning, Frank, I, I would fall out of bed on my face and into prayer. I would not leave my bedroom until the Lord told me it was okay to leave the room. And then, you know, when I had to go shopping to get milk, I would not leave to go shopping until the Lord told me it was okay to go shopping. And when I went shopping, I prayed about where to park my car. That's what tribulation is going to be like. You know, when you have to leave your house, you will be in prayer before you get the, you know, before you get the direction from the Lord. It's okay. Now is the time to leave. And when you leave your house during the tribulation and you're traveling on those highways that are so dangerous, believe me, you will be praying the entire trip. And when you get to your designated location, you'll be praying about where you stop your car. That's what the tribulation looks like. Mm. It's pretty intense. And, and, uh, yeah. Well, what a time to start that kind of prayer life now, um, keeping God at the forefront, praying about every decision. Um, you know, it's interesting, Benjamin. I can look back at my life through the years since conversion, and I can look at the times where I took God into consideration at everything I did and, and the and the fruit of that. And I can look at the times where I didn't always take that into consideration and that bore a different fruit. And um, I have learned yeah. one thing. You can keep God. I don't care how intense your job is. You can keep God at the front of your mind in every single thing you do. It's totally possible. It's, and it's actually even easy if you, if you begin to live like that. You know, the, the thing is that, you know, we, we become accustomed to our lifestyle. We, we become creatures of habit. And, you know, the Laodicean church, you know, and I'm not against the church per se, but the point I'm trying to make is, this is a company of people who, though they believe in God, they walk in the mind of the flesh. They walk under the knowledge of good and evil. They are not walking in the anointing. Their mind is not filled with the Holy Spirit. They may be born again. They may be sealed under the day of redemption, but they're very much in the mind of the flesh. And so they're walking it out using the knowledge of good and evil. They're using the letter of the law. And it kills. And for many of them, they've never actually been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or if they have, they've, you know, they have forgotten what it means to walk in the anointing. And, you know, so all they've known is walking in the outer court of the mind of the flesh. And so they've, they've interpreted all of the scriptures to basically justify the Laodicean experience. 
And anyone who comes along and says, no, 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 this is not what God wanted when he wanted to create a church. He did not want a bunch of people walking in the flesh. He wanted people walking with him. Not people that believed in him but still lived in Babylon. He told you to come out of Babylon. He wants you to seek the Lord in Zion. You know, instead of feasting and partying, he wanted people who would set aside times of fasting and prayer. You know, Laodicean church just looks at us and goes, man, you know, you guys are, you know, you're too extreme, and we don't have time for you. Besides, you know, we need to make a whole lot more money because this Laodicean lifestyle is expensive to keep up. And so, you know, they're just focused on that whole deal, and, you know, they just don't even know that there's a problem coming. And it's going to be a rude awakening for them when the judgment hits because... It's going to hit them first. And it's going to be devastating. You know, Benjamin, I shared this, I think, once on the show a long time or a while ago. I don't remember how long, but, you know, when I newly got saved and I was uh, radical would probably be an understatement. Um, You know, I was... Right. Uh, just on fire was not even hot enough, right? I'm I'm just going wild. So my wife, I like freak her out, you know, with everything that I'm just sharing because I I can't get enough knowledge fast enough, right? I'm devouring everything, and her family's like freaked out too. Her dad was totally, you know, not in agreement against, you know this stuff, whatever. So my wife calls to have a conversation. I'd been sharing stuff with her. And I'm like, oh, man, this is over, right? He's going to come against it. She's going to listen to what he's got to say. I'm in trouble. It's going to all blow up. I go in the back room. I fall on my face, and I cry out and weep through that whole entire conversation, maybe an hour they had or so, with every ounce of my heart. My wife hangs up the phone, and she says, well, he basically agreed with everything you said. Wow. I mean, it was absolute. that's the kind of God we're serving, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's that intensity. When you make God your focus, you make him your everything. I can, you know, and yes, everybody seems to want to come against you, but then you just sit back and watch God do miracle after miracle. And, and, and that doesn't mean your life's easy. But it's just you sit back like, wow, God, I I could never have imagined you were going to do that. And then, boom, you just did it and blew my mind. Hallelujah. Anyways, Brother Benjamin, we're at the end of the show. Thank you so much for this. Um, God bless you, brother. What a powerful series. Uh, I asked the impossible. We asked the impossible tonight about wrapping this up. I mean, I was thinking we could go a little farther, but they were like, ah, it doesn't look too much. Benjamin, you successfully covered six. Uh, well, no, no, I'm sorry. Eight chapters tonight. So, God bless you, brother. Um, amazing, hallelujah, folks. Um, you've heard, if you didn't catch all the parts of this series, you want to catch it. This is amazing, good stuff, uh, and God is doing a work. This you you heard it right there. Yes, the church is in apostasy. Yes, there's things going wrong, but yes, God is going to do something amazing so folks i want to say this is brother frank and brother benjamin from the remnant call saying to everyone good night and shalom